So we always start with the question of what was your general impression of the book? And there's no, not everybody needs to talk. Everybody's welcome to talk. Um, we don't do, I think this is the second one that touched on the Holocaust and it's by itself a whole topic and historical like Jewish trauma and sensitivity. Um, but um, I mean, it's also a very powerful life story. So I mean, I would love to hear people's impression on the book. I think we should start in person. I, I haven't done this like hybrid model. So start kind of in person and then- uh, We can do a role model of how many people read the book. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Who read the book? Okay. And may I ask you for the future? I so the expectation is once you nominate a book, it to be fully read before. Right, right. So there are certain different um, structures of book clubs and that like we'll meet periodically. We try not to do very, we don't have a thousand book, like page book. It's like maybe up to 400, that would be the max. So the idea is that in the month, month and a half, we can read it fully and um, discuss it. The depth in depth is, tends to be a little bit less, it's more about the general idea of the book. Um, yeah, so any impressions or comments on the book? Uh, Did you like it? Like even it was, as, I thought I read a lot of Holocaust books. And, okay. Um, I thought it was uneven. Okay. It started off, you know, his experiences, horrendous, and it's always painful no matter mm -hmm. what. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, in you'd like to learn, I do, about the relationships, and, and it was like, like a couple paragraphs, he was fixed up with his wife, he married her, but that's, I mean, what, his, what her mother said was horrendous, you know, that they didn't want a refugee, right. that was shocking to me. But, um, but then there was so many pages that, Devoted to describing, to describing uh, that Texas, Wilshire, yeah. Texas, yeah. Wilshire business that right. was beyond boring, right, and <laughs> not useful. I mean, not didn't add anything. Right. So that part, I thought. Um, yeah. Well, I guess I didn't see it quite as much as for most Holocaust books I've read. <laughs> I didn't see it really as a Holocaust book because it started when he came to the United States. Right. And it's more of the rags to riches mm. story, which right. is why I would have that part of Texas and all those, I mean, to go from, I mean, I guess from being rag, literally rags right. to right. a millionaire. Right, that, that's fascinating, <laughs> right. Like yeah. nowadays, I, I mean, there's so many more, I think, walls up. To make that harder to do, it's still right. possible. I think right. the story of coming to the United States. Um, but, but I guess that was, I came at it from a slightly mm -hmm. different perspective. Yep. Well, I think you described it uneven. Yes. I think that's yes. good. Um, I was thinking how it lost its heart. Right. He must a person. Well, the whole, the, it was like a textbook and I just wanted to get, get through it. And at the end, um, kind of it wrapped right. a, a lot of things up because it, it left us with the Simon Wiesenthal Center. It kind of dropped it for a long time and then it kind of just wrapped up that mm -hmm. he was involved in it. Um, and the Holocaust chapter though, it was early, it took me, a while to get through it because it was just very so hard very hard and i ha i have more images from that one chapter like a string how that can save your life i mean who right. ever thought of that right. Right. um uh and two death marches you know um right no wonder he was just relentless in everything he did you know and mm -hmm. I guess not to get bogged down in the details, but no, the string, I, I think about that a lot. What is it that, that is so important? You know, to me, it's like having three layers of clothes in the, the cold. But. Right. but like, I mean, he will keep leaving his house with two pairs of socks. Yes. Then, yeah. yeah. 40 years after that, yeah. 
And yep. Yeah. Um, Adele or Susanne, any impressions? On, oh, we have someone else. Fran. Great. Hi, friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can, can we hear if they have read the book and what they thought? These people should have more, I think. They don't hear them. If you no? have their voice, you may have. They're trying. No, one second. I may have my whole computer meeting. Is that possible? Oh, no, it should be on. Okay. Hey, can you, um, can you guys speak and just make sure that we can hear you? Um, I could speak. <laughs> Hello. You'd like me to continue? There you go. Yeah, I'm speaking. Can you hear me, Rabbi? I'm here. Oh, can hear you well. Oh, this is Adina Malta. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Can you hear us back? Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. Any impressions in the book you guys would want to share with us? Well, I, I enjoyed the book from the point of view. First of all, I listened to it for the first time on Audible. So I had a little different experience than just reading it. And the person, if you hadn't done that, the person who read uh, the book was very good. And I don't, don't know if that's part of why my experience may have been just a little bit different than, than what I've heard. Uh, the biography, of course, started with his Holocaust years, and they were powerful, I thought. They were just very powerful. Um, and then going into his business and taking with him in the business the type of personality that he developed, having gone through the Holocaust, which is, I thought, what made him successful in, in the future. And uh, I think that if we had met him, who knows if we really would have liked him mm -hmm. <laughs> in person, yeah, I was you know, in terms of some of the things they said, but he was an absolute force. And for me, the later on in the chapters uh, up in the Catskills and Cutchers and things like that, that's home to me. So <laughs> I really enjoyed those, those chapters and reminiscing about that. Uh, and of course, his uh, relationship with his children, the people that he worked with. I, I thought he, his, the character that was displayed and talked about with his ability to be very good and kind to people who were loyal to him and he took care of them. He never really relented in that. He never changed as a human being when he came out. His, he cared for people. And I, I thought that was very moving to me. And even about the, the, that young man who had saved his life, uh, continued to work for him when everybody didn't want him to work there anymore. He was got older, he was slower, and he absolutely refused without having to follow any laws laws may have changed since then but he kept him on board so there was his character that was displayed throughout the book well that, and i listened to was i thought memorable and to be admired i admired him as a human being and what he came through and took from that his ability to get through life and how he did go through life and also of course the most important thing was that he was wanted to keep education going and I was moved at the end that his grandsons and his children are continuing in his footsteps. And that, uh, that, that was really important. I enjoyed that. Great, thank you. Anyone else with some initial thoughts on the book? Okay, so when I think about a comment and I'll talk about it, this book, I go back to kind of like a moral question, which is, this is a personal memoir. So we would be naturally talking about people's choices and individuals um, actions. And it kind of is counterintuitive to from the way I was raised or, or whatever my context to criticize people from the Holocaust. Like I kind of was raised of like, but they went through the Holocaust. So that's the end of the conversation. So. I think like, I just want to kind of bring this up as if people, is it okay or not? Or what, how do you feel about this just in general? Um, 
going into that one step forward into his life and, and potentially criticizing some of the relationship he had without judgment, but, but how people feel about it. Am I the only one that has that <laughs> complex? <laughs> oh, so Ariel, when you do that, um, but I, I wasn't raised in quite the same way mm-hmm. with that, but I was, but even so, um, there's an awe and a reverence for anyone who has right. gone through the half cap cost. And, right. and, um, and I guess, again, that rags to riches that I started, I was like, mine wasn't the, to do all that, then come and still raise a Jewish family is pretty amazing. Um, and and yet sad because so much was taken away from him because of the Holocaust. You know, you know, I can't even imagine having a relationship with your husband. You know, like and right. it sounded like they they ended up not having the best of relationship at the end. I mean, even though she still came to him when he got Terrible. sick, but right. they ended up right. living separately. They were estranged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I grew up with almost all my closest friends were children of Holocaust survivors. That was right. part of my experience. I grew up in Washington, DC, and um, that was so much a part. So many people that I knew were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear what you're saying. And, and I, um, like my next door neighbor, she she spoke to people. She addressed um, uh, what um, the naval thing um, that he addressed. Yeah, the first one to speak to the right. But she, I mean, she she did a lot of this too. And but I, she, she was not as complicated, let's say, as he was. And of course, she wasn't a rags riches mm-hmm. story. Um, I think he was walking around pe- with PTSD the whole right, time, right, which right. I think a lot of those mm-hmm. people are mm-hmm. or did or that happened to them. So I think that's what we were seeing that kind of behavior, right? The way they acted. Yeah. Absolutely. I am without being able to be in the situations. I got that impression that he was always screaming and like, but then you hear the impression he left on people. And it was always um, Susan touching it and the way that he cared about the people who were loyal to him and how he um, really would build a relationship with anyone without caring of their status. Like people were criticizing him and as like, hey, you only worry about the big, the big clients, you know, you're like wasting time here. And he, this was his way of relating with everybody. So I, his personality was a little bit shocking to me in the sense that I, I felt like I, I don't like this guy, but obviously when you, when you see it more deeply, it's like, it's a product of trauma and a lot. And, but it's interesting. And I guess it takes us to the next question, which is, is that experience in the Holocaust, what made him that successful? What made him the would it have been the same? It was, it was something that he had even before he went through the Holocaust. I mean, there are certain things that were unique. Like they mentioned a few times his memory was beyond the normalcy. Like he has extremely vivid memories from everything in his life. People he met, it, that's unique, even with or without the Holocaust. But do you think that was something specific of that experience that made that help and contribute to the success? Or do you think he would have been that powerhouse kind of regard? I mean, we will never know, but like- Well, I think you have to look at what has been the history of all the other people within his camp. So by and large, was there a majority of them were strivers as well, or did they give in? Um, I often ask whether whatever the religious identity is in your participation, in what way does the guiding principles that are given in shul and uh, things you read, reinforcing kindness and generosity. Right, and right. there's all kinds of very abusive uh, Chabad, you know, the Bovitcher rabbis were assholes, you know? And, and in, spite, in, in spite of all of their protestations and whatever they're reading, the guidance of kindness and generosity, their kids can't stand the guy, you know? And so 
in what way are you incorporating the lessons of your faith? You know, my, my, my faith is kindness and uh, it wraps around lots of other religious things. But uh, yeah, the, the Holocaust was a, an experience just as you, if you were in an airplane crash in some way. Right. But then and what, and how did you incorporate all the other role models? Who else, who else was part of your tribe that was a reinforcer uh, and messenger of generosity and kindness? Whenever I meet somebody who has a large extended family that gets along, right. uh, my favorite question is, what were the messages that came down from the elders that has your family be uniquely generous and kind towards, towards each other? And, and I think one thing he took from the Holocaust, I mean, again, this, a lot of us has seen it from an outsider, but is that loyalty, that loyalty is the number one value. I think it was um, loyalty through monetary, uh, uh, the golden handshake, the golden... It, he just expected full loyalty from anyone. Like he would give everything he has. But that to me was one value that I think he brought with him from that traumatic experience. Which... Kind of like Trump, huh? <laughs> yeah. I looked at the first chapter again, and from, the, from before the Holocaust, he seemed quite crafty to get some stamps and uh, forge some passports and got his sister over and sister and husband and I think another... And had he, I think he was able to, yeah, three people. Yeah, so he, I think he had, he was hearing things and he started the wheels in motion even before the Holocaust. So he had a lot of tools. Do you know how, how many copies of the No. Ariella, I'd like to weigh in on. Um, the issue of loyalty with him, you know, he he uh, he would rather hire um, and people to break the picket line. Once he felt his workers weren't loyal to him, once the, the his workers wanted to join a union and not be dependent on personal favors, they wanted a union with specific benefits outlined and they wanted a contract. They didn't want to depend on an individual's generosity. Once he felt that uh, they weren't loyal to him, he turned on them and he hired people to break the picket line. And I didn't respect him at all for that, not huh. even a little bit. That, yeah. Yeah, he, his relationship with authority, it, it was, Again, an answer of his past, but from today's eyes, we see them from what we value today. We value certain institutions or we value certain structure. And he makes it really hard to see how he would just think they would like they had no value in, in society from his standpoint. I mean, when all the institutions you respect become the end of the Holocaust, then I I mean, you can see where these things come from, but um, nevertheless, we see them on today's days and we, it, it can be crashing to what our values are. Um, yep. Uh, may I return to that issue of uh, the number? Uh, it's 500,000, I just looked it up. 500,000. Over 500,000. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the reason I ask, because uh, for the last year, I've noticed this book being advertised in the New York Times review books or review oh, really? books, whatever it's called. Wow. And it's on the third page. You know, it's always there. And uh, clearly, unless you have sold many copies, which I'm very happy to hear how many hits are, you know, you don't have the funds with which to put in that in the New York Times. And so I believe that the way. The way I believe somebody is pushing this book. Right. It's mm -hmm. not just uh, obviously a good story. It's not well written, but it's a good story, of course. But uh, uh, somebody is really behind it, and this is a very small imprint here. Uh, yeah, it's not a right, right, right. Uh, many times the, it's the group sales guy and is doing a wonderful Someone's job. Someone's got to think. I mean, you mentioned maybe they're all money. Yes. 
No, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. By when, way of Israel, by way of by when? Way of... When did you leave Romania? Uh, I was twelve years old when I. Oh no, I was one. It's right after thirteen. I lived in Romania. Yeah, that was in forty-nine. Uh, forty-nine. Nineteen forty-nine. Correct. My grandmother was from Romania. Uh, and and uh, you know when I look at Soros, you know the other Hungarian billionaire. When I look at uh, the relative of ours, uh, the guy who the night, uh, Ali Wiesel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. he's as quoted here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, my my thing is, had he been been born in Brooklyn in the same year, nineteen twenty six, and that he would be no different in terms of his drive for success, clearly wow. his Jewishness. Is, is, that is was my question. Do, yeah. That's so very interesting. It's a very a big macro That's yeah. very interesting. Okay. Because the way he makes it sound, and again, I'm not, again, we never know and we don't know who he would have been, but the way he makes it sound is like he's beating the Nazis by being successful. That's like the impression it gives me. But then I really think that based on certain things that were his natural, nothing to do with the Holocaust. Um, he would he would have been that person anyways, whether being in Brooklyn or in Europe without the Holocaust experience, but we, I mean, we don't know. And the other thing that um, the, the little piece of, of the Holocaust, which again, I don't read Holocaust books, I haven't done since I went to Poland years ago. It's really hard to read. You but, hard to the living? Yes. Um, you and told me that from the beginning. Like, I told you, so I'm not going to do Holocaust books. <laughs> like, I'm on it without Holocaust books. <laughs> here we are discussing, but um, it, it, it was really hard for me to read that part because he made me think about how smart, and I think his nature, natural abilities is what he made him so, survivor. It was aware, like with the, the deficit of, of calories, with the hard work, with the cold... He was always making a decision. His mind was always running. He was always, I'll, I'll do that. And that saved them. And, and, and otherwise, it wasn't like a bad day. It was, that, that was his life. So I'm like, you, it wasn't only surviving. It was like being clever every single second. That meant that, and, and it wasn't being evil. He was fair. I mean, again, this is all the way it was. He was compassionate, but it was always extremely, He's bright in making every decision. So I, I agree with your read of the situation. Again, this is up for um, any interpretation. It's totally fair. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of people who come under poverty, if, what is their internal language, internal wording? I'll never be hungry again. You know? right. That's what he said. That's why I'm not going to go one day hungry again. And if you look at sociologist of some sort, you ask yourself, well, how come the Indians and the Jews and the Chinese and the immigrants all make, not all the time, make it, and we don't have that many relatively speaking native, native uh, right. first generation, second generation, third generation, yeah, and, and I think well. Having come from, from a country, a world, a deprived world, uh, and I would just tell the story of it, and coming to America it, it is, is an impetus. It's uh, something that just cannot happen if you, if you are born here, because when you're born here, everything's fine, everything's taken care of. I was just showing that Dave and I go back 25 years as friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sure the other day I was at Kroger, somewhere near Emory, um, and I looked down from the second floor. The abundance. Was, huh? The abundance. <laughs> We're complaining about empty shops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Tens of thousands of products. Oh, just, 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 just. It was just, I just love to look at it. Wow, that's but amazing. You're right. We wouldn't have, like, I said, we, for, Native-born Americans would not necessarily have that. You take it for granted. Yeah, I would have never looked at it with 
It was hard for me to see his, the way he developed relationships in his life. So um, there, was love, there was a lot of love, um, I think, initially to his wife, potentially as well, to his kids. I'm no doubt he loved them. But there was that at least, I mean, I just parallel like side story, personal side story. I've been going through a lot of parenting, learning, and especially now what it's unconditional parenting is like the kids feel that they're love unconditional and it's, you never need to look for your parents' approval. Okay. I felt that his relationship were um, depending on his approval constantly whether it is from work relationships where it's okay, you, in, in certain relationships, I think it's important to have standards and approvals, but then there's relationships that should not depend on anything, you know? Um, and it felt to me that all his relationship till maybe the last few, I don't know, at the end of the book, it's hard to tell because I think they described two years in very short few pages, but let's say in the last year or two of his life. Um, that was my, my personal impression on the way he had relationships that were conditional to his standards of what it's okay. Um, what it was any relationship in the book that caught your eye or any, um, any opinion in general of how he related to either his work colleagues or his wife, kids, friends. Oh, Ariel, that was the point I was making earlier. He was very conditional. He loved his, his workers as long as he was in charge to dole out favors and gifts, you know, but he, he was very conditional. Once they had a different idea about labor standards or something, he was done. He was done. I thought it was very um, controlling in a way. And um, the thing that I, I'm probably in the minority in this book group, but I, I didn't particularly warm up to him at all. I, I was unhappy the way he treated his wife. I was unhappy with how conditional he was towards his children and his workers. And uh, I, I, I don't know, I was just disappointed in him. And, you know, the book is called Unstoppable. He was unstoppable mm -hmm. until he was stopped. And that's what just really upset me that he let, uh, you know, President Reagan's visit to uh, that um, that Nazi cemetery. He let that stop him. Of all the times he should have kept going, that's when he stopped. And I was for ten years he stopped lecturing, and I felt like the Nazis beat him. Yep, you know, Reagan goes to a Nazi cemetery and. He stopped speaking, the Nazis have got him. I just was so, I, I, my mouth dropped. I'm still, you know, I can't get over that he stopped talking. Mm -hmm. I stopped speaking out about the Holocaust. Um, you know, it's just, you know, like Holocaust deniers, like Deborah Lith step, you know, she steps up and no, you know, you know, I felt like he should have been even more unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So I guess when I, you know, when just for me evaluating his life, you know, who am I to judge? I'm just talking about a book. I was disappointed. Uh, I was disappointed. I know he was a great philanthropist and he did many wonderful things. I'm just pointing out that my disappointments about his wife and about his, his conditional love for his workers and his children and letting, you know, Reagan visit stop him. I just had disappointments about him. That's all. Yeah, that's, thank you for that opinion. Anyone more online wants to wait on this before we open it to the table? 
Well, I, I would like to, to just add to that. I understand that feeling uh, that was just expressed, but I think you, you know, if we take it into context about what he went through, which I hope none of us has, has ever had that experience, we really don't know uh, exactly how we would react. And I just thought that, um, you know, it, what happened with, uh, with Reagan, which I remember. Oh, I really? remember that. Absolutely. And I remember the hullaboo. It wasn't like it was today because the news was not as uh, around as much, you know, it was limited. But uh, he was just so horrified by it. And I just try to put myself in those shoes to have had those experiences and to try to understand it. Uh, it does seem like out of character though, that he wouldn't speak for 10 years. It, it was a little bit out of character, but the depth of that, that impact of what Reagan did, uh, we'll never, we should never know what the, right. that he could have experienced that. I, I can't say I was disappointed in him because of it. I just tried to be neutral about it in a way because uh, I think it was a horror, you know, what they go through is so we don't even know a tenth of it. Right. Mm -hmm. so that's my opinion on that. I, I belong to another book club only weekly. Okay. A chapter down or whatever book we were talking about. So I wasn't aware that uh, the system you had prior. I did read, I got all my yeah, Kindle. Kindle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kindle. And now I'm just seeing the nice pictures. I don't even have pictures. Yeah. Uh, and if all I can tell you is, I have no more reason to read the rest of the chapters. <laughs> 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 right. Let's see now if you agree with everybody. Or this right. Is now you can bring your opinion. We'll give you five minutes next time. <laughs> I think that not only do we look at um, people's lives who were in tragic situations, even last night in the tornadoes, uh, but you think, how are people's lives who have a silver spoon? They came from a loving, caring family with resources. Right. And what are, what are our expectations of how they will make, it, make their way in the world and how they will interact with others? Does the fact that you come from that family of loving and means mean that you will then have, be generous and thoughtful toward, towards others? So there's no guarantee on that side either. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think somewhat there's some just generational things like you were talking about unconditional love and I hear that about the future as well. Okay. So I hear that a lot from parenting and teaching now. Um, but my parents, it was good. I grew up very good. My dad was in the military and my mom was an Irish immigrant. And you, you had, there were expectations and if you didn't, do what you were supposed to do. There were you were cut off. <laughs> right. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like that they didn't love you, but it was subject to approval kind of thing. Well, I, I ask family to think about families. You say that our family has, a, or your family has, a certain amount of time, money, and resources. And as kids, you want to get as much of that as possible, right? <laughs> okay. What in your family? What should be the ratio of those resources based on your behavior? If you're slamming the door and giving your parents a finger, <laughs> what does that get you? If you're working at school but nothing in the community, what does that get you? If you're, if you're doing well in school, making a difference right. in the community, and being loving and caring to others, that gets you more stuff. You know? yeah, lots so, of, so it is conditional. It is conditional, yeah. yes. Yeah, so. But there is a trend of, of parenting that is... A little bit different. That's modern trend. Yeah. Yes. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy. Any other thoughts about his relationships or um, impression on how he related to people? I'm pleasant. Even to his kids, do you think? Ultimately, in the end, it sounds like they really loved him. They came to appreciate him, but it must have been very hard to be, to be his. I think he was with his mom. I mean, yeah. I, my guess is they spent most of their time 
I, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's right. not atypical in the Jewish families that I know. Across, I mean, you know, I mean, and in all families, I mean, so often the dad is the primary breadwinner, and especially back then. Um, and so, you know. I still remember my mom. Wait, your dad gets home. <laughs> the black cloud. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, he. It, it was hard for me to see because a lot of the motivation the kids had to act a certain way seemed more coming from fear or pity than love. And we do things for others against our inner will but you hopefully it's out of love and not necessarily like pityness but yeah that's a little bit of the path the kids follow seem to be motivated by fear more than anything else um yeah and it it does touch a lot on the fact that he had nightmares and and how i mean it's the work was a little bit of his refuge of like being out of that mindset. And if he spent time alone, he, I mean, the humor, it's the black humor in the book. I, I had, there is this quote that he says in a conversation and, and I cannot take it from my head. He says, um, why he doesn't go to shul more often? And he said, well, God, if you take the, the screaming cows out of my head, I will start going to show more often. Oh my God, oh my God. Like the, I guess you need to go through that experience to be able to make these jokes or, or, or it's not even a joke, it's probably true for him. People laughed. He says like in that same scene and he created laughter in the room and I'm like, okay. Yeah. But- um, I think something else might have said, Shul is the only place that the screaming stops. No one said that. no one offered that answer, but um, he lived every single day with the Holocaust. And when he was at the end of his life, I, I thought about the beginning. At the beginning of the book, he says, and, and, I, and I don't know how many people do this. I'm, I'm very curious, but he says um, he has three goals in his life and he mentioned that. And I was like, oh, should, should I have an like, explicit goal in my life? Am I missing in? Or is it because you went through the Holocaust? Um, I marked the page. Let me see if I find it. But the last one is to, to, to help uh, Judaism right. spread. So the first one is never go hungry again. The second one is to marry a Jewish woman, have children, and help rebuild the Jewish people. And they're pretty gigantic <laughs> missions. And the third one is to preserve the Holocaust memory. So then going back to what Adina Malka was saying about the not speaking for 10 years, that part of his life was a little bit, um, I mean, if it's one of the three goals and you see it's nothing about being successful, building an empire, like that, that wasn't what, he loved the Holocaust, one in three things, not be hungry, which is a basic human need, but, after the Holocaust, I guess it becomes top of your mind. Otherwise, sounds even like silly. Um, marry Jewish and work with Holocaust memory um, topics. And at the, at the end, he, he's being treated for cancer and with a medicine that I had to Google it. Apparently, it's not a very um, common. There are better alternatives today, thank God. But that made him hallucinate as if he was back in the Holocaust, you know? So it's like, he never left some way or the other. He's it's so much the trauma that he had that he, I don't know if we can tell that he, he ever really left that, play, that dark place in his head. And, and it's that walking PTSD that you were saying before. Um, but, even from that beginning to that end, he did all of those amazing stuff. A lot of philanthropic work, even for the Holocaust Museum in Washington DC, he did a lot of work. So I don't know, did, did anyone else see that like, kind of like connecting the beginning and the end of his life and what happened in, like when you think about all his achievements, how do you, do you get it with a like good taste of like how amazing it is 
where he came from and where he ended up? Or do you get more of like a bitter taste in your mouth of how his life ends? And, and I wonder, because I think the idea of the book is that he was incredibly successful and positive. But somehow I didn't get that impression. And I don't know how anyhow, anyone who wants to jump in would when say. Did he, when did he die? Died in 2003. I think if you have an, a, a business that enables you to make a certain level of money and you're hanging out in Jewish fundraiser events, then you it can become a little bit of a com competition. Uh, I can do that too. Oh, it was, it was a wonder of being at the awards where someone so gave a million dollars. I'd like to have that feeling as well. You know? And so there's a bit of uh, that. So being in business enabled him to be generous, but it became not a one-manship per se, but being a part of the club of generous folks. You know, it was quite interesting because what you said uh, that he had said that he wanted to never go hungry, marry a Jewish woman and continue having Jewish children and then uh, educating people on the Holocaust has nothing to do with his business. You're right. right. Nothing to do. He, they, they were two separate things. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think, you know, he made it successfully because of his personality. I, I, you know, and I think that some people would even say luck. And of course he was smart. He had a lot of chutzpah and he really pushed his way through life. That, that's how, that was the impression I got here listening to it. But I thought that uh, uh, those were wonderful, wonderful things that he said uh, that were his true values, no right. matter how brusque he was, no matter how difficult he was, he was really a man of value. Uh, when it came to uh, what was really important in life. Right. I think he achieved that. And that that's at the end, you know, when they interviewed his grandsons who married religious Jewish women of all things, that he would have been very happy about that. But yeah. uh, whether so or not, you know, I just really thought that was, uh, came for full circle for him and he had achieved what he wanted. And yeah, and that's, I think, is the idea of the book. I don't know if I um, kind of, for some reason, put a little bit more weight on the negativity. But I, yeah, absolutely. Like, if we see from those, those goals that he had in his life, he for sure achieved them. Um, so, in, 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 in some beautiful ways, you know. But um, I don't know any other impression on what. I'm with you on the negativity. Yeah, that he was, you know, such a difficult person, and um, he suffered a lot. Again, maybe because I know so many survivors. I had two friends, children of survivors, who committed suicide in their life, mm -hmm. and I don't. I'm not saying it's necessarily because of their parents, but I think there was there was an impact behind that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, something I was very familiar with. But I mean, not not in the financial success that he had. So you can see that. Um, I, and I, I could not, I had no idea. I couldn't believe it was a bestseller. I did not see that as a bestseller. <laughs> and I didn't see it on any bestseller list. And I watched right. those things. So right. anyway. I, yeah, I mean, I think the book itself is not really well written. Yeah. If we go more into the talent behind the author, which is nothing to do with his life, but. I think the author was happy writing about the, the banks. And right, the, right, right, right. And the oil company. Yeah, it gets a little boring with that. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that he died that long ago, 17 years ago, mm -hmm. and the book just came out last year. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not his charitable, his will or his lawyer or somebody. Uh, buying they, they, all they the half million copies. There's this much money for someone to write a book. Josh Green wrote it. Uh, mm -hmm. it's call, a half call a your million, friends. A half a million books mm -hmm. of this genre. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Right. Uh, who who reads for Right. Yeah. 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 
I would like to say that I learned a lot about the banking industry, actually. <laughs> I didn't know the difference between like commercial banks and savings alone, you know, who could make loans and who were just for savings and how much residual they had to have on hand. And I actually thought that was kind of interesting, but um, that was just an aside. Right. And he yeah. sued the, the Federal Reserve Bank. Right. It just shows a chutzpah again that yeah. was mentioned before. I actually Googled that law and it came to protect so many um, unfortunate events. You know, like the banking industry was pretty mismanaged to say something. So if you read it from the book, you think these people are like requesting the most insane and necessary measures. And it, it all made a lot of sense from a um, just health of the banking industry. Standpoint. Yeah, you know, I thought that he, he took them into federal court as if it were an anti-Semitic law. It had nothing to do with anti-Semitism. It was about stapling, you know, the bank industry and people's confidence in banking. And that was another thing I kind of lost respect with him about. Like, hey, guy, this isn't all about you. And, you know, it's just about banking. It's not about you and duty. And, but that, that's very relevant in today's world where, um, I mean, so I grew up with a lot of Holocaust survivors in my life, too. And, and with my family, cousins, siblings, whatever, we had a joke, like, not necessarily funny, but like someone will like not let us past where we're driving I was like oh they're all onto Simmons like it's like, <laughs> like as a joke could potentially be funny or like the police stop we were clearly speeding it's like oh, for sure it's not, I'm like <laughs> they don't even know I'm Jewish you know anyways the the I, I that caught my eye a lot because even today's politics or any sphere is like what is the line between anything and real someone that is an anti-Semite, which we have potentially millions to, today, unfortunately. So it's not that we don't have them and it's important to identify. You had an amazing um, series of courses on this. It has many layers, many different um, ways to express, but he tend to call anyone that it was against his ultimate purpose in business, anti-Semitic by nature. It's like, almost as like if you're not Jewish you hate Jewish people like that it gave me a little bit that impression of like um and I grew up with people that had that feeling I was like everybody's here to get us and and again there's a lot of personal context when like a whole country or even continent turns against you what do you expect like is is when people sometimes um you hear them criticizing certain very insular Jewish communities and though we should criticize them as there's room for improvement, we also need to understand why they ended up that way. Um, he, again, without criticizing his personal experience, I think the book called many people anti-Semitic um, without necessarily being the case. Um, again, I don't know these people. And the Reagan situation did make me think that I don't know. I went again into a rabbit hole about Reagan relationship with the Jews and wasn't necessarily very pleased. And again, I have no political inclination. I wasn't even in this country, I wasn't even born, but um, there were some um, situations that were a little bit questionable to say the least. But he, it was anyone. It was like an attorney that would come and they were making him follow a law. They were anti-Semitic. So that's just relevant because we, we need to be um, very careful with using those very powerful words. And, um, well, and you get the whole thing, is he a real Jew? Uh, right. I mean, it's <laughs> like, we shouldn't, I mean, there is some Semitic behavior and it's fine, but like not because someone wants to pass a law on a banking, they're necessarily trying to get him. Not everything is really personal. But that was hard for me in the book. I think we do have to distinguish. I, I love this country. And yeah, there are people who are anti-Jew. But I distinguish with, between them they having a bias. 
بس كان كان يعني جروا بالعرب
Um, but I definitely had not a great taste in my mouth in many times. Well, I think it's each of our responsibility to look at other people's lives as role models, parts of their lives as being role models for, role models warnings. And uh, each of us has both those parts for everybody. And uh, so you're teaching yourself and your children to observe what is there about the thing that is working for them that you would like to copy for yourself and what things, you know, my dollar gets into my dirty car. And I said, you know, there's a price I pay. I'm doing, I'm doing mitzvahs by bringing gardening things to somebody else. I pay the price by having my car uh, not as clean as it could be. And uh, so I observe, please observe, how does it make you feel when the car is dirty? And you can make a choice of how you want to live your life to maintain that. Right. How did this book come to our attention? How did this book come to our, how did this book come to our attention? You just, how did you discover this yeah. book? Oh, I, so I'm in this book, um, Facebook group. Um, it's not a Jewish centric. I, every time, either for the purpose of this book club or just in general, when I think something is related, um, I try to put it on my reading list. This, what was very interesting, it had a very like different opinion. Some people loved it and they were like fantastic. And some people were like really not good or well-written, not well-written. So I was just curious every time. I, I give it like, I think I commented like with a 3.5 out of five stars type of review, um, but definitely worth discussing like I think later in the book club we're going to have better as like literature richer books but um I mean most books we can some are just terrible but we all have the same opinion right so this <laughs> this was uh, more um just an interesting discussion but yeah that's how this it's called what am I reading tonight something like that on Facebook mm-hmm. Um, and people are even faster than I am reading books. <laughs> like last night I read and then I Googled the book and it's like 600 pages. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so this is um, the first one. I think it's the only biography. All the rest are um, just novels. Oh, what about the paratroopers? Is that... That looks, I thought that that looks okay. Let me. Um, I'm going to bring. Yeah. That's Wait. full on. Um. Uh, yeah, but it's really good. Now started reading that one. Start. Yeah. Yeah. Audible seventeen hours. What, what I'm halfway through. Which is the beauty queen of Jerusalem. I'm going to bring up. That's a fantastic book. What is it about? Generations. A family the, of the books. I'm, I have it. Okay. I'll, I'll get it in a second. How your generations can affect you. It's the number one That's international bestseller. You've you got to make a family tree in the beginning when you read. Yes. So that's helpful to say. Yes. Before I start reading. The number one international bestseller, The Beauty Queen of Jerusalem, is a dazzling novel of mothers and daughters. Stories told and untold, and the ties that bind four generations of women. So we have um, Unstoppable, which is tonight. We have the Beauty Queen of Jerusalem. So right in about just in about four weeks or so, January sixteenth. Mm-hmm. We have um, in February the Ice Cream Queen. The Queen is just two, a coincidence. Two, right. I was like almost going to ask you just more. <laughs> I was actually when we were creating the schedule, I wanted to actually move around, but. It's like a puzzle because I really some of these books tie in with certain things that are going on, um, Jewishly or holiday wise. Some of it kind of keep some other things. Anyway, but then we have an unorthodox match, the world that we knew, and finally like dreamers. That's about the paradox. That's it. The right. That's the paradox. Yes, and um, an orthodox match is not based on the few just series that have been around. Um, uh, orthodox people becoming not orthodox has been two yeah. very famous ones. There is something about in those lines, but it's not related to the 
Netflix shows. Not all of Lux, yeah. It's not right. the scandal. Right. And it's yeah. not an, my unorthodox life, which is a new one. I don't know if you're up to it yet. There is a Netflix movie called Unstoppable. Oh, really? Well, it's not to the. Okay. I, I didn't even know about it. That, Good to it, know. It's a detective crime or something. Okay, the um, the Beauty Queen of Jerusalem is becoming a miniseries in I think Netflix. So read the book before. <laughs> yeah, don't. It's, it's really good it's, and yeah, it's, um, getting, it's getting famous. It's getting famous, but it's not gonna do justice if history tells you anything. Um, so, but yeah, it's coming out. I think in the next few months. So. Yeah, it's it's been produced already in in, in Israel. What um, Netflix is doing is they're paying attention to what we're reading. Right. <laughs> right. They saw the list. They run. Yeah. Let me see what's on their list. Okay. Let's let's by the Yeah, but it's it's fascinating. So, um, any closing comments from anyone? Did, Can we what? tell everybody's name because? Oh, yeah, that's a great way to start. Can you do what? Go around. I don't know anybody here. I'll go around. Start. Okay, so I am. Hey, guys. I'll move it around. Oh, thank so you. Perfect. Hey, I'm Rabbi Ari. It is great to see everybody. I am Rabbi here at Chabad in Town and the director of Intention Jewish Academy. And we're hosting this uh, this amazing book, book club with Ariella as our incredible leader. Hello, Tom from Atlanta by way of Israel and Romania. <laughs> what was by That's it, that's it. <laughs> and I'm uh, Dave, uh, soon moving to Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, I'm wow. a uh, stone balancer and uh, inventor advisor and, uh, and uh, relationship coach. Nice. You can join us online. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm Reno Horowitz, and we're in the process of moving to Atlanta from Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Nice. nice. We are in Los Angeles. West LA, Pico Robertson. Okay. My son is in Yeshiva now. In, um, Which one? Chabad Yeshiva on Warren, I want to say. Near La Brea. No, oh, on that side of town. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, where in town are you moving? Do you know? Do you have a neighborhood in mind? Right here. Oh, you're moving in town. Yes. Okay, great. We we have a we bought a house. Oh, Mazel Tov. And, awesome. Uh, right a few blocks away. Wonderful. Amazing. This is a place to be. <laughs> okay. Here I am. I'm they China. all know you. Yeah, I'm China Perlow. Uh, I've been going to Chabad. I started in the book club last year, and I never read a book, maybe one book in. Mm -hmm. How many years? I hate to say. So we read the six books, and then in the summer on the break, I read probably eight books. Amazing! Oh own. wow, so that's thank amazing! You. Thank yes. you. I still think of myself as not a reader. Oh, you are. You now are. That's so good. I didn't know. That's amazing. <laughs> no worries. Right? It's not. It's not service. We don't care. I'm Patty Gullick, and um, I'm, I live on the south side of Atlanta in Tyrone, um, you probably about outside? 30 minutes from here. So, um, And I have a daughter who lives yeah. in Reynolds Town, so I got to hang out with her today and then come yes. over here. How did you hear uh, the book minutes. club? Okay, five minutes. Um, I pay attention to yes. what's or going on here. I've been attending enough. Chabad services for the past okay. eight, nine years. So there's a Chabad in, yeah. In, yeah. In, on the south side. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yes. Awesome. Welcome to the book club. And here I am again. So Ariella here. I, um, what do I do? Should I introduce myself? I live in Atlanta, grew up in Chile, in South America. Um, I'm a happy wife and mom of three little kids, including a five-month-old baby girl. So, um, and I also work on my free time. No, <laughs> that's my full time. <laughs> But yeah, I, um, I work for a local company called Cox Automotive and I really enjoy it. And this is what I do in my free time. I love reading. So um, thank you for sharing this with me, this passion. Awesome. So yeah. I mention also. Oh yeah, our online people, yeah. Let them, okay, I'm, I'll move it this way. All right, let's go around. Um, yeah, Adina, we'll just go around. Uh, Adina, Marco, jump in. Introduce yourself. Yeah, um, I'm like trying to like 
I, I have a master's degree in library service mm. and I have not read in decades. Oh, wow. <laughs> and once the book club started, I got back into reading and Charna and I actually uh, started mm. our own little book club during the summer to tide us over so the book club started up. So happy to hear. Adina Maka, actually, I was one or both of you had a really good idea for a book and maybe you can share which, oh, yeah. which title was that? You mentioned to me one or two. Um, I think we, we were saying The Assistant. Okay. Oh, that's a great book. There's, you know that one? Yeah, one I haven't read it, but I. Yeah, okay. Let me, I'll, uh, I'll get it right now. Well, the other one you wrote about the from baseball, the library. Like the friends that are. Uh, there's one that he wrote, um, one's a religious Orthodox Jew, and one is secular, and they play baseball or something. They have a friendship. Is that the chosen? Maybe. Is that maybe? That's but that's again okay. I think it's written by well, yeah, definitely bring bring suggestions in because we're always looking yeah. to, to to learn. By the way, I, I will mention I know we're in the middle of the online intro, um, but you said that we right. took a summer break. Um prime I mean part of it was Ariella had a baby. So my, we wanted Mazeltov to Ariella Mazeltov. You mentioned that your daughter is five months old. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And we had the honor of naming her upstairs. That's the little girl. This is the first girl. Yes. After two boys. After two boys. Yeah. Quicker can, than you. Quicker than yes, you. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, five and one. So yeah, right. Um yeah. so yeah, can we hear um Susan and Fran if you could introduce yourself in that order? Okay. Hi, I'm Susan and I live in Sandy Springs. I'm a nice. retired social worker and I'm, uh, I like to read, although I could say I'm not a reader either. You know, there's always so much time. I really enjoyed listening. So I was able really? to look and do a million things and still listen. And that really wow. helped me get through the book. So that's my new thing right now and hope to continue to do it. I did start the uh, Beauty Queen of Beth, of. Uh, Club, which I started about four months ago um, and then put it down and I thought it was very good but oh. I just you know when I'm gonna going to put it on audible so I'll I'll definitely finish it oh that's great that's yeah. awesome nice to meet everyone thank great you. you great to see you and Thanks. finally Fran jump in hi can you hear me yes hi I'm Fran Mashkovsky I'm coming to you from Las Vegas I work at the VA Medical Center as a physician, and I'm a wife, mother, and grandmother, and I love to read. Awesome. Nice. Welcome. Awesome. And Fran, mazel tov to you. Yeah, thank you. My son just got married, one of my sons, oh, so wow. yeah. really exciting. We just got back from Miami. It was beautiful. Wonderful. Beautiful yeah. pictures. So let's keep bringing only simchas. Amen. Only simchas is right. Yeah. 